Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Henderson, and I am joined, as usual, by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Go ahead, guys. Hey, hey guys. What's up? Hey, guys. Cool. Super helpful. Um, so this week... <laughs> what, do, what are you expecting us to say otherwise? Like, every week, it's like, no matter what we say, it's like, Jesus, guys. What did he say? <laughs> hey, like, you fat Alberted your way into this. I'm a little... <laughs> a little bad, but this week, we, we actually got some feedback um, from, from one of our former colleagues who's, who's actually a good friend to most of us. Uh, Scott sent us some feedback that um, we, we've been uh, talking about a lot of topics and we, we've been touching on marketing operations topics and, and I, that people were really enjoying that piece. He particularly was really enjoying that piece. So we are deciding to uh, lean into that feedback a little bit and do a bit of a, a marketing operations specific RevOps sort of topic. And this week we're going to be talking about as a part of our 201 series diagnostic metrics for your intent-based marketing strategy, which is super exciting because intent-based data is relatively new and, and is honestly, it's a huge piece of most ABX uh, experiences for, for businesses and companies are really starting to start lean into intent data. But so first we should talk about what an intent-based marketing strategy is because it feels like we should lay that foundation because it is a relatively new thing. Probably we have some listeners who aren't using intent data or aren't, don't have an intent-based marketing strategy and it's only that frame, framework for everybody. Um, so either of you want to take a crack at that because I have a definition, but considering, Brandon, you worked at Demand-Based Engageo, which is you know an intent-based marketing company, that maybe <laughs> you would have a definition for people to use. Uh, I mean, so Engageo is not intent data, but yeah, Demand-Based was for sure. But I feel like I feel like Jonathan really wants to t- have a crack at this because he's, he's, he's yelling that we should do more marketing. He's doing more marketing. Now. Right, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna save the audience so we can keep this going faster and read the definition. <laughs> uh, yeah, which one of us should just read the definition? Yeah, intent-based marketing involves marketing a service or product based on a customer's online actions or previous actions that you can use to indicate their intent to purchase or consume or use or whatever the products or services that you provide. Um, so it's, it's using the actions, using previous actions, current actions to it, it online in general, right. To signify whether or not they have intent towards a product like yours. Which right. and, and usually when, when we're talking about like intent data, when it comes to marketing, usually that's, that's third party data, right? So that's, yeah. that's, uh, actions that they are taking on properties that you do not own. So that could mm-hmm. be other websites that could be on social, whatever that might be. And a lot of times you can combine intent data with third party and first party data. So you're you're dealing with reverse IP on your website to identify accounts, but you're also using your tracking pixels with your marketing automation platforms to be able to get that first party data of when people are on your website and figure out what they're clicking on. Totally, totally. It's it's usually some conglomeration of your your own first party data. Are they on your website? Are they responding to emails from you? That's uh, engaging with marketing materials. Your customer, your competitors sort of content and their websites and their social, you know, experience and what they're doing there and previous history with you is, is usually played into it. There's a lot of data points that usually typically feed these data models, um, which which is a huge important piece to get right. And we'll kind of touch on identifying when that's wrong as a part of our diagnostic metrics, but super valuable, right? Like it, it's pretty easy to understand why intent data would be a valuable thing. If you can only make a hundred phone calls a day, wouldn't you rather those hundred phone calls go to people that you at least have a reason to believe have some intention to buy what you're selling versus just picking a hundred people and calling them, right? It's, it's targeting is essentially one of its biggest value adds. Um, cool. 
So let's say this, you're doing intent, you, you know, you have intent-based marketing, it's live, you're running with it, you got six cents, who's, who's the other players? Bombora is in, in that space, I, I think, demand-based was. Like you um, said, demand-based, yep. Demand-based, yeah. Um, they're all intent data platforms, I'm sure there's some others I'm missing, if I am, ping me, whatever, we'll list you next time, I don't care. Terminate. Everyone uh, does intent these days. Yeah, look, whatever, there's a lot <laughs> of intent, Zoom Info has intent data, I think like yeah. everybody has some version of intent data. Um, at, at Ringgit A, we, or Revenue IO, we use six cents. Um, you're doing it, how do you measure success? And I actually want to move past like the things you use to measure a lot of marketing success, right? Like conversions, pipeline generated, total closed business that came out of these campaigns. Like that's kind of low hanging fruit. You're going to use that to measure the success of your intent based marketing strategy as well. But I want to talk about some things that are specific to intent based marketing, particularly. And so the first metric that I think is super important is stage change rate. Is either, either of you familiar with stage change rate? The rate at which the stage changes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's exactly right definition. Uh, but, but so when you're when you're doing, and I, I actually pinged Jonathan about this earlier. When you're doing intent marketing, usually you get some version of what their level of intent is, right? And so you usually rate them by stages of like they're a target, they're in consideration stage, they're in decision stage, they're in purchase stage. The further down that funnel they get, the more intent they have to buy a product like yours. You know that because of all the data that you're feeding into this model, right? And the stage change rate is a metric. Your goal, your goal with an intent-based marketing strategy isn't just to say, hey, I wanna find everybody in purchase and close them. That's, that's one piece of an intent-based marketing strategy. An equally important piece of this strategy is saying, great, I wanna take everybody that's in consideration and warm them into decision. And I wanna take everybody in decision and warm them into purchase. And I wanna take everybody in target and warm them into consideration because now I'm not just feeding my funnel for three months, I'm feeding my funnel for years to come, right? I'm continuing to identify accounts, push them through that funnel. That way when they get to the sales team, they're already in purchase mode, they're ready to go, they're a warmer lead, right? Make sense? Yep, cool. totally. And, and I mean, I, I think, we, we talked about this before and I, I'm, I have very strong feelings about this, but like intent data is just a piece of the funnel, right? You can't rely mm -hmm. on intent data for the end all be all when it comes to like behavior based uh, signals. Totally. Right? It's just a, another value. It could be a very valuable piece. Um, but yeah, layer that on to your current marketing strategy to help customers move down that funnel quicker, right? right. It itself right. is not going to do it. Yeah. Along exactly with everything right. else, it will do it. Right. And, and to your point, exactly what you said, move them down that funnel quicker. And that's why right. stage change rate is, is such an important metric because I'm looking at, when I, when I think of stage change rate, I'm thinking, how fast are we pushing people through that funnel? How fast are we getting somebody from consideration to decision, from decision to purchase, right? And I want to measure and improve on, on the speed at which we are pushing them through that. And so I would just take, here's how many people on September 1st we had in consideration and on October 1st, here's how many we have in Decision, right? Like th that's the rate. 10% of them moved. We're moving them through at a pace of 30 days. 10% of them will move through 30 days. The next month, look at it. Do we move 12% in 20 days, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, am I doing better? Am I getting better at that metric? Um, so, it, which is really valuable. If you're doing really well there, you're going to start to fill the funnel more and more as you go. And you want that number to continually get better because then you know where to invest your marketing resources and your sales team's getting warmer leads. All that's all, all great. All fine and dandy. We're set on what it is, why the metric's important. Now, now comes the fun part. So say I'm, I'm running my intent-based marketing strategy and I'm looking at stage rate and it is getting worse over and over and over, right? Like I'm looking at August and I'm looking at September's and I'm looking at October's and oh my God, we're moving less and less stuff down the funnel. We're moving it slower. It's, it's getting bad. What the heck do I do to fix this problem? 
The first thing I'd look at in that scenario is, is your database getting stale? Have you just been hitting the same contacts at the same accounts over and over expecting new results? You've got to feed the system. You've got to continually feed new leads and contacts into the system. Otherwise you're going to get stale at some point. Love that one. Love that as an easy point, right? Like if, if you were by definition, if your database is getting stale, you are going to run out of people to move forward in those stages. So it is going to get worse and worse. <laughs> that, is, that is just mathematically true. <laughs> the answer is not send more emails. <laughs> yeah, the answer is not necessarily yeah. send more emails. So, so yeah, that, that's a great starting point because if that's your problem, that's first an easy solve. And second, like it, it absolutely will be the problem if it is. Yeah. And to that point about sending more emails, sometimes that is how marketing organizations will react. Well, oh, we're not getting enough engagement. What's what's up the ante on the emails? But what you end up doing is just getting everybody to unsubscribe and opt out of your content. And that's the opposite of what you want to do. You end up totally. ignoring them more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now they're, now they're actually going backwards. They were in purchase. Now they're in decision. I'm not totally sure I want to buy from them. They're going to pepper <laughs> me forever, uh, which by the way would absolutely happen. It's totally possible. Um, mm-hmm. So, so then, so then let's take it the next step further. So I'm, my stage change rate is bad. It's getting worse and worse. And I'm constantly refreshing my data. I feel like my data is up to date. It's still bad. Now what do I do? Maybe look at the, your your keywords or the the threshold that uh, trigger triggers an action with your keywords, right? So if if you have your tier one account keywords and you say anything that you know gets a score of seventy, uh, is it does that still make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And one thing we ran into early on in our implementation is we got a little too generic on our keywords and had some words in there that might have meant broader terminology. To the point where we're getting a ton of hits on these keywords, like these guys aren't showing intent at all. They're not interested at all, but they're they've got a high intent score, and you got to make sure your keywords are very specific. Otherwise, they're going to pick up stuff you don't want it to pick up. Totally, yeah. I mean, looking at the going back to looking at the model, right? I think that's probably one of the most important things when you're running intent based marketing is re reevaluating your intent model consistently because it will change or it will be broken and it's probably going to take you a long time to get it right. That's to be totally honest. I mean, you're not going to get it right the first try. It's going to be good. It's better than nothing, but a year into doing it, you're going to be much better at it. Your model will be more fully fledged for sure. Um, It's just constant iteration. So, so let's say then I'm, I'm happy with my model. I'm refreshing my data. It's still bad. What else? <laughs> find a find a different vendor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, so, you're, you're sort of you're sort of missing like the obvious one, though, right? I think, it's, it's, go ahead. I think the enablement piece is probably the next piece on the puzzle. Are the sales reps enabled totally. to actually surface these contacts Huge. and leads, Huge. or look Super at the accounts? Yeah. Super important. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are we are we training the reps? Are we training everybody to do that? And then the other one that I would say is. Let's let's A/B test what content is actually like. Let, exactly. let, what, what is actually effectively pushing people to the funnel? What isn't? And let's fix our content approach to our marketing strategy to to push these through. And you can do that really easily because you could say, hey, we're going to send half of them this piece of content, and half of them this. How many moved forward and how many didn't? And then yeah. like this one, this one works great. Let's use it for everybody, right? We can mm-hmm. evaluate that through the entire cycle, and that's going to help us get better as well. And also break your stage change rate down to industry to ICPs, like different things so you can identify. Like we're really doing a good job with moving finance ones forward, but not real estate, right? Maybe real estate isn't the best target for our intent-based marketing strategy, or maybe we need to reevaluate our entire marketing content approach to that vertical specifically. Like start to narrow in on those things. And you can also narrow down your messaging by persona. So you may speak to one persona way differently you speak to the others. So that's also a consideration. Are you being too general with your content? You're just 
blasting co- the same content to every persona where maybe a different persona would like a different type of content or something more technical. Totally. Totally agree. Brandon, you just nodded. Do you have any, any words to say or just going to nod at us? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking <laughs> Jonathan's role today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Touché, yeah. I've, I've noticed that. I think you're on Slack right now, but whatever. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say Slack is now closed. Don't worry. Don't worry. There was there was a message from the CEO. The we full attention. We're talking about more. a product that you literally used to be a part of a company that sold. But whatever. You don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> well, else, okay. I mean, no, no. A, a, a few things though, like. The, the reason I do like demand base a lot is you have so much control over how you're defining the intent. There are some companies out there um, that, that are like bigger companies in the intent space that are known to be black boxes, right? And if it's a black box and, and you're not getting great results from that company, like you're not going to be happy with that, right? If it's a black box where you're getting amazing results, fine. It really doesn't matter. Success cures all, right? Um, but that that is why I like demand base so much because you have... 100% control over exactly how you're defining it and what happens with that data um, and when it's, getting, when it's getting surfaced, where it's getting routed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, I do think there's a lot to be said about the vendors themselves. And mm-hmm. also that like there are vendors that are great in some industries and there are vendors that are not great in others. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's 100% fine if you want to use demand-based and Bombora, right? Like I think the more data points that you have, that show that helped you feed that in overall intent signal the better, right? Because they they aggregate that intent data in different ways, right? Bombora is a co-op, whereas Demandbase is not, right? Whereas um, also Six Sense, they do their own proprietary thing. You know, they are the yeah. black box, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It's it's um it goes back to like going beyond reevaluating your intent model, reevaluate who's providing your intent data because yeah, exactly. you're, you're, like you said, there's a lot of third party data that comes into this equation. Uh, you're relying on the accuracy of a lot of third party data. And what you're actually relying on is the accuracy of your vendor's ability to get that third party data accurately. And also connect to your first party data because the taxonomy of connecting your CRM, your marketing automation platform and your website are critical. If those aren't really in, in cohorts with each other, then your tool is worthless. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I didn't do it here. You did it, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough. <laughs> but worth it. I shielded you from other projects for like three months while you did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. All right. Anything we want to add on to that before I move on to the next metric? Well, I mean, when, when you are evaluating vendors, I think it's really helpful to ask them questions like, how do you collect your data? Where does you, where do your scores come from? Uh, what sites do you collect your data from? How do you identify the contacts in those uh, accounts, right? How do you do that account matching? And also things like, I think very relevant these days is just their compliance, right? Yeah. Like if, totally. if, they, if they collect data uh, in non-compliant, you know, GDPR and Castle and all those ways, like you, you can actually get in trouble yourself. Totally. Mm-hmm. You could. Yeah, you absolutely could. And, and um, I, w- I would say when you ask them about where they get their data, every one of those vendors is going to explain how, where they get their data and explain why that's the best way to get data. <laughs> yes. And they're all doing it in different 
way, but all of them are going to say, and here's why that's better. And there probably are reasons for each of them of why that particular re- way is better, right? And, and there's, there's pros and cons of every, of every way, which is why when you're looking at data vendor sources, compliance and asking that question important, it's also very, very important to ask for references. Get a couple other customers to, to tell you. I love that. Jump on a call and say, hey, like how accurate is their data? Have you guys had any issues with it, right? Their customers, they're going to give you their happiest customers. That's fine. They're still going to be honest with you, and that's what's important. Um, But I would always ask for that. Yeah, and here's one gotcha for anybody looking for an intent-based platform. If you work internationally at all, you better make sure that they can segment out (laughs) headquarter accounts. Because otherwise you're going to be... Super yeah. important. Cannot emphasize this enough. Yeah. If Otherwise, they you're going to be adding like five different accounts, same account, all different territories. Good luck even, figuring out which one is which. Even if you're not international, think about targeting Google. Google has HQ1, mm-hmm. HQ2 offices in 48 states. If you're not able to identify which of those offices is the HQ, that's super problematic for your territory planning. And 20 different countries, to, like yeah. every mm-hmm. subsidiary and, of Google, and, has, which yeah, there and, are like and, thousands of them, right? Right. And, and I like to use intent data in our territory planning from a, yeah. from a segmentation standpoint because it's really nice to say, like, okay, this territory has this, this much business. This is how many intent, high intent potential customers we have identified in each of these territories, right? That's a good way to separate and create some fairness for your AEs. And if you can't identify the account HQ, you can't use that data when using territory planning, which is super problematic. Six yeah. cents. Sorry. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I have expressed that to them directly. It's been, it's I been plenty of yeah. other people have too. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Next metric. I can't wait to get the sort of angry email for that, which is fair. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry Anthony. Um, Until they sponsor our podcast. Well, yeah. all right. If they're listening, I'm I'm happy they're listening so far. It's actually been a really good tool. I'll give them that. It's been yes. a really good tool. That, that's a been small one, tool. one major limitation that has bugged me for a year. So. You will um, not find a tool out there that does not have some type of limitation. No tool right. is going to be perfect out there. You're just going to have to live with those. Especially in this vendor. They're, they're mostly relatively new platforms, right? They're, they're, there's none that have been doing it for 25 years. So, um, all right. Next metric, deal cycle. And deal cycle, we've talked about this a lot. Like, how fast are you getting from qualified opportunity to closed one? Like, how many days is it taking you, right? And if you have a lot of high-rate high deal cycle, that's great. If you have a slower deal cycle of enterprise software, it's probably longer. Deal cycle should speed up, theoretically. If you are warming leads through your intent-based marketing strategy, warming them to the point of decision and purchase, and then they're getting that meeting with the sales rep, that's when your reps are unleashed on them, that first conversation is a totally different conversation to the first conversation of cold outbound, right? Because they're warmed up, they know who you are, they're familiar with the problems you solve, they're, they're more likely to be able to move through the process much more rapidly because they're already partially sold. And, they're, and you know because you're targeting people that are in, have some intent to purchase your tool, that they have some intent to purchase your tool. And so that you can actually push them through the process a little bit faster. So deal cycle, super easy way and important, I think probably often missed way of, of measuring the effect of your intent-based marketing strategy. Um, and so before I move on to the, the question that you guys know I'm gonna ask, anything you wanna add on deal cycle, why it's important for this? Um, no, I think, I think we got nailed. All right, nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> Gave you that bit for the video clip. Thank you. Um, all right. <laughs> um, nobody that's listening is going to get that if they don't follow me on LinkedIn. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> follow me on LinkedIn. You'll understand there why you I said that. Uh, all right. Um, so then like, here comes the logical thing, right? My deal, I've used intent-based marketing. It's creating a lot of opportunities, but my deal cycle, it's getting getting slower or, or you know worse or staying the same. What do I do? What am I doing wrong? 
everything well, that we just talked about for the last. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not wrong, right? You're not wrong. But there's one thing you talked about that I think is the most important one, and I'm gonna let you one of you figure out what it is slowly, probably. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> probably. So I, I think one thing is: Are you warming these leads up enough? Are you sending them specific enough content that they know what who you are and what you do? Because a lot of marketing organizations just give you very top of funnel. These are the top five ways to close a deal. Here you are, and now they're the rep is essentially having to do all the work of warming up the lead where the marketing team probably could have gotten another email or two in there before they got to the rep. Or totally. at least been a little more specific on on what they do. Totally agree with that one. That wasn't my number one, but it's probably like an equal tie actually. So well done, <laughs> well done Jonathan. Brandon, you want to take a crack? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Let's hear it. <laughs> Come on. Come on. You gotta take a guess. Well, give me one. Give me an answer. Well, I mean, okay. I, I, I do think the point about just making sure the content match it, like content is honestly a huge part of it, right? Like if, if they uh, trigger your intent uh, signal on a specific keyword, just like honestly make sure your, your, um, uh, your content matches that keyword. And uh, honestly, I think that's kind of one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they just put all of their, uh, you know, important keywords into one, you know, tier, and then that tier automatically triggers. And then it's sent to the rep. It's like, Hey, this person is hot right now. They just hit a score of 60. Well, if, if I don't know what that person actually triggered, what keyword that person actually triggered on, how do I know what content I should actually follow up with? So, I mean, that, that is an, I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and plug demand base again, but that's one of the things <laughs> that you know, demand base does pretty well. Right. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you can sort all of your, you know, all of your uh, leads or, or accounts um, that have that tier one trigger by the actual keyword that they triggered on. Now that rep says, okay, this is what they're really interested in. Let me actually serve up content that is specific to that that very keyword. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I, yeah, I think it kind of goes back to the enablement piece we talked about before. Not only making sure the reps know what's in that content that they interacted with, but also enabling the reps to know how to follow up on that content to really be able to segment that population and understand, okay, this population converted on this, so they must be interested in that. Well, you, that you're, my, you're talking about the first party engagement data. Are you talking about first party engagement data? I think he's, he's talking about that they came through intent in general. Just sales oh, well, like the sales team is empowered to um, to, to understand that leads that come from, you know, through the intent journey are going to be different leads than leads that come from, you know, like some other source, right? Like cold outbound, that sort of thing. And, and enabling them to know how to work those specific leads based on how they were warmed up through their intent journey is how you're actually going to speed up that sales cycle. By the way, that was my number one. Thank you, Jonathan. You guys got there eventually, like I said. <laughs> yeah, um, right. but, but it, was, it was good. I knew you would. Like, I knew we you'd did get it, Brandon. That. <laughs> Together, <laughs> Jonathan, we can try <laughs> to maybe read Jordan's mind. <laughs> yeah, Start, start. You guys are starting to see how I work a little bit here. Uh, it's, it's only thirty episodes in, <laughs> but but actually, Brandon, back to your point because I think it's super interesting. The content thing, right? Not only is the content so important, but I also think it gives you another avenue to measure the effectiveness of your content because we typically measure content as like, does it convert or does it not? Right? Like that's kind of what most people are left with. How do you measure the effectiveness of content? And this changes that a little bit because now it's just not, does it convert or does it not? Does this push them through their buyer journey? Maybe if I put this content in paid social, it would never, ever convert a lead, 
But if I send in an email to high intent people, it might push them from decision to purchase. That's still a really valuable piece of content that I might have killed off otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And, and that's honestly, that's why I, I really do, do love like stage attribution. Right. When we end up getting around to talking about attribution and when Jordan stops being a cantankerous curmudgeon here. I, I, I <laughs> make like five times. Nobody ever makes <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's a really good point, though, and and something that uh, we will definitely talk about is just like, yeah, stage attribution. What what's the thing that made that person go from one stage to another? It's not just mm-hmm. one thing that made them buy, right? I, I actually care about breaking down my funnel at every single step of the stage. Right? Yeah, every we, step of the deal. I, yeah. Lock it in. We're gonna two weeks from now. We're gonna do a stage attribution conversation, specifically yes. a whole combo on stage attribution. We'll do it. Um, I'm not gonna stop being a cantankerous curmudgeon, but we will. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> so deal with it. All right, uh, all right. <laughs> all right cool. It is a weighted love, topic, though. I, I love I, it. Is a weighted topic. Weighted is a nice pun for attribution modeling, but we'll uh, <laughs> leave that for the day. Well done, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, but um, all right. Anything else on deal cycle? No, no, I got it. Yeah. All right, cool. I love the pause where you guys think and just stare into the distance. You both. <laughs> the side you, you don't think our like, listeners could tell that I was I was shaking my head? No. No, I don't think they could tell. And then Jonathan always looks like off to the right, like up, like he's hmm. George Clooney trying to like scratches his chin. The audience can't tell you're thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. So then the last one I want to talk about is cost per. Um, and, and I, and I mean this like super broadly because whether it's cost per lead, cost per acquisition, cost per click, cost, customer acquisition costs, like cost per is typically, uh, a metric that's super important to you. And one of those versions across your marketing, you know, results. So lowering the cost of any of those things is a really valuable piece of creating intent base, whichever one you're tracking, right? I don't care if it's cost per click or cost per lead or whatever that is. Um, customer acquisition cost being a really easy example. Uh, so if you lower the cost of acquiring a customer through intent data, you should be like, theoretically, you should be lowering the cost, right? Because you are taking, instead of broadly targeting a whole market, you're targeting people who are in some version showing some level of intent to you. So you should be starting a little bit further down the process in your, in your marketing experience and your, in your buyer's journey. And therefore the buyer's journey is slightly shorter, should shave me, save me money, right? I'm more targeted than yeah. less money. It's, it's kind of a double-edged sword in a way though, because you kind of have to find a balance because the more targeted you get, the higher the cost ends up being especially on the paid side so With you the almost paid have social to, thing specifically yeah, yeah that's that's mm-hmm. totally true um so write that out of the equation you know account for that right so if you're targeting those high intent counts and your paid social staying the same let's assume that's flat but my cost pers are going up or staying same. I'm not actually saving money, even though I'm using this intent-based thing, which by the way means I'm losing money because I spent a bunch of money on an intent-based platform and I'm not actually saving money from it, which is <laughs> one of the reasons I bought it. Uh, so now I'm spending a bunch of money on something that's not helping me save anywhere. What do I do? Where do I start? Yeah, I think you got to look at your strategy. I think you got you to gotta look at how you're identifying your target accounts. Are you getting too focused in on very expensive accounts? Are you solely focus on financial services we're getting those vps into your system we're gonna is gonna cost a fortune can you spread can you diversify a little bit and get your costs down a little bit that that'd be the first place i'd look is your targeting i i was i was going in that same direction where it's like what what are those uh like how has your decision making model changed and are you kind of overweighting with intent now right because yeah. uh, honestly 
as I said, it, intent is just a piece of the piece of the funnel. It still has like I, I really want to make sure it matches my first party engagement data. Once once my intent data matches that, um, honestly, it's almost like cheating. I, I care more about my first party engagement data than my intent data, <laughs> right? <Yeah>. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it has has your decision making model changed of how you actually prioritize who you're going after and and how you're targeting your people, right? So you know if if you are putting too much weight on you know intent in your target account list in the beginning, you might just want to rethink that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we end up finding a lot of marketing teams and sales teams will do this. They'll get hyper focused on what they believe will be the best thing to target without testing a bigger subset of that target. And then you just get that narrow focus and you kind of miss out on the bigger picture. Totally, totally agree. And I, I think the other thing I would play with, um, which, which is probably a bit of a crazy thing to play with, but I would still do it is to, to Jonathan's point, it, paid social gets very expensive when you're targeting target things, right? And even if assuming it's flat, do I need to use a ton of paid social to warm people through the, the, if they're already showing some intent, right? Like if they're already in decision, maybe I can get them to purchase without using paid social against that audience, right? Maybe I can cut my more expensive avenues out of the process and still get the same results, which is something I could play with on the back end to lower my cost per, because if I don't need to do paid social in that regard, I think most people say, oh, great, we have all this intent data. Let's hit them everywhere. Let's email <laughs> them. Like, let's do everything. Do you need to? Like, you know, you don't always need to. There's probably a lot of people sitting in decision that three emails from now might be in purchase and you didn't ever need to spend a dollar to get them to click on something on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And, and you should play with that and see if you can cut those things out and still get the same results. Because if you can, you're going to lower your costs and save that budget for other things, for other pieces of the funnel. Yep. As valuable as LinkedIn is, it is expensive. So you have to be very, very targeted on what you're doing there. Judicious. Judiciously yeah. spending on LinkedIn. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Well, what, what I was going to say is like t- taking a step back, I really do think that you have to set expectations properly with your sales reps, because if you sell intent data as the hottest thing, then you don't train them on how to actually use intent data properly then they get zero results from intent data. Now they don't Mm -hmm. trust intent data whatsoever. They don't want to touch anything that has intent data attached to it, (laughs) right? So I think it's like important to really do that training and set those expectations properly in the beginning. I I actually think, by the way, one of the things you can do is actually use intent data for your marketing strategy for a period of time and then wait for that moment where the sales reps go, man, these leads we've been getting are really mm, warm. Yeah. And then go, hey, yeah, like, you know why? This sweet thing called intent data. Let's show you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Wait for them to get bought in a little bit. Like, do it a little bit on the marketing side. Because, by the way, that gives you bandwidth to then make sure that your data model is right and make sure your targeting is right. And make sure your, your, your thing is really fully fledged and built out before you roll it out to a whole team of salespeople and tell them to go use it. Because if you roll it out to the whole sales team, to your point, even if you train them really well on it, you make sure they really understand it, and then the data model is broken from the start, they're again going to hate intent data, right? You, you need to make sure that that's all right before you roll it to that level. Yeah, show some early wins. Yeah. yeah. And that you can't have them be overextended too, because if, if you're showing them all the, oh, look at all these accounts showing intent, go after one of them, and they're just like, they get kind of deer in headlights because they don't, they need to be somewhat focused on where they're going after. So if you give them too many accounts or, or too many things to work on, then that defeats the purpose. It completely yeah. defeats the purpose. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's yeah. why whenever someone's like, I have 3000 target accounts, like that, <laughs> that, that, that completely defeats the purpose of having right. target accounts. So you'll be calling those for the next 12 years. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have no idea where to focus whatsoever. And you're back to having no idea. Yeah. 
who you should be totally. going after. Totally. Targeting everyone. Yeah. <laughs> targeting everyone means targeting no and Basically, one. you're a marketer at that point. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Hey. <laughs> and nobody wants to be that, right? I'm going to get so many angry messages for that comment. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on to this week on LinkedIn. I clapped. That's where we should put the noise in, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> um, so this week on LinkedIn, I got a question. By the way, it's the second week in a row where I got a question. They're like, I want you to use this on this week on LinkedIn. Nice. So um, Alec, just a note that I promised him that I would have you pull the transcript of this section so I could send it to him in advance because he wants an answer sooner rather than later. And I didn't want to type all this up. So if I can make <laughs> enough to do that, that'd be super helpful for me. Uh, so this week on LinkedIn, a question comes from Nam or Nam. I'm not going to pronounce that right. I apologize. Um, he says, at our company, account managers are responsible for renewals and expansions. We have a customer success team, but they don't fall under the revenue team. So there's not much synergy between CSMs and account managers. Right now, our account managers are totally reactive. They renew clients when the renewal is almost up and they handle upsells if the upsell comes to them directly. What can RevOps do to help the account managers more and make them less reactive? And so when I told him that I was going to use this question, he responded very excitedly, by the way, which uh, mm -hmm. I was excited about too. And then he said a thing that I'm never going to forgive him for, which is, by the way, Jonathan is the star of the show. What? <laughs> which no. I was like, what? Jonathan's <laughs> <laughs> even in shock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he messaged that to me. Why do you message? Go message Jonathan then. I like this guy. I like this guy. Jordan, by the way. <laughs> I almost didn't use the question. I was so insulted. Um, anyway, so it's a good question, though. For you, anyways, you just had to. What are you doing, man? Uh, anyway, so, but because he's a big Jonathan fan, <laughs> Jonathan, what's the answer to this question? Yeah, I, I mean, as anyone uh, in RevOps will know, reps work on incentives. So if you can incentivize your reps to do this action, they will be more likely to do it. So if you can, I, it could be compensation. It could be even a leaderboard, just gamify it, figure out a way to kind of gamify it. And the winner gets an award at the end of the quarter or the end of the month. That could be definitely an effective way to do it. Totally. Yeah. Incentives for me is the easiest thing, right? If they're only, I assume if they're handling these reactively entirely, that they're not incentivized to do mm -hmm. it. Because if they're getting paid properly to do this, they're not going to be reactive. They're going to be proactive because it's worth money to them. That's how sellers typically work, right? If they don't, they maybe shouldn't be selling um, yep. in a lot of ways. But um, incentives have to be misaligned here. And the RevOps team can certainly help you take a look at your incentives and make sure they're aligning to actually promoting the behavior you want from this team, which in this scenario is to proactively handle renewals and proactively handle upsells. By the way, if if they're not being incentivized from like a quota or booking standpoint for renewals and you're having them process all renewals, what an incredible waste of selling time. Oh, oh, God, what yeah. are you doing? So, yeah. so if, if that's the case and like from an incentive standpoint, your, your company doesn't want them to ever be incentivized for doing renewals, then CSMs have to take that over, right? You have to figure out some other way to do this because right now you're taking your sales time having them spend it on something that's not actually, you know, a good use of their time. They're not growing the business the way they would be growing the business otherwise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, I mean, your easiest sell is the person already in the door. So if they're also neglecting your easiest sale, you're going to, that's going to be bad for business. Yeah. Your, which your tells me they're probably not getting again, incentivized for upsells either <laughs> very well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like they should be proactively building those relationships too. Um, 
Uh, cool. Anything else, Brandon? Yeah. So, so this is, uh, I mean, kind of top of mind for me right now, but um, maybe they're just not getting the data that they need, right? So uh, mm -hmm. uh, 100% give them incentives, but also give them the tools and make sure that they have the data that they need to get ahead of those, right? Something that we are um, working on right now, right, with Pendo, like huge shout out to Pendo because Pendo gives us a lot. Cool tool. Yeah. Cool ass tool. There's so yeah. much. So many, yeah. so many insights that we can get from actual product usage. Um, honestly, even if it's like an NPS score, right? Um, it can help you get ahead in your QBRs or just give you the heads up, like look at usage data, look at um, how your successful customers or those customers that are leaving your nines and tens actually using the product, right? Pendo makes it super easy with their NPS tool. They're saying, here are the pages that the people who leave you a 10 actually use. And here are the pages that people who leave you a three or four use, right? So it's actually looking at your actual product usage data. And then you can work with your product ops or your rev ops team to actually get that data back into Salesforce because they actually have a, a bi-directional push. So uh, any data that you have in Salesforce can be obviously piped into uh, Pendo and vice versa. And just making sure that gets written back in places that your sales reps actually look. So, mm -hmm. you know, we'll go right. back to um, also enabling your team. Tell them yeah. what this actually means and how to actually use the information that's now being dropped back into Salesforce. So another huge yep. shout out to Pendo. Yeah, totally. The, uh, the other piece I'd add is, are you making it easy for the, kind of what your point is, are you making it easy for the reps to see this? I mean, you can mm -hmm. have the reps subscribe to a weekly report that tells you everything that's coming up in the next quarter that you need to renew. So are you doing, mm -hmm. are they subscribing to a basic report at the end? Of, that could be the simplest way to accomplish it. Right. You can, you can automate a lot of this. You can mm -hmm. just make sure you're providing both, both from an upsell identification standpoint and a renewal standpoint. Hey, this renewal is 90 days out. Here's an email you need to send to let them mm -hmm. know their, their renewal is 90 days out, right? Because if they're handling it reactively, that's not happening and, and getting out in front of that is super important. You can automate a lot of that or at very least find out where your reps are spending their time and put it right in front of them you know, at a certain time frame above them. Providing the data at the point of decision. You have to for all of these things, right? And then if you're providing the data at the point of decision, you're incentivizing them to do that behavior and then training and enablement to tell them how, like, this is this is how you identify upsells. Here's how to process renewals. Here's how to do it in a way that increases value and et cetera, et cetera, right? By the way, it should be more proactive than that, not even just the 90 days, but if you actually want your reps to handle all upsells and you actually want your reps to handle all renewals and you're going to incentivize them for doing that and you're going to provide them all the data, it shouldn't be just, hey, reach out 90 days before renewal. It should be, hey, you should be talking to these people on a consistent exactly. basis and building exactly. a relationship because in that regard, you need to have a relationship, right? Yeah, so it does not look good. On, yeah, you need to train yeah, on all It doesn't look good to just reach out. <laughs> right. <laughs> that happens so often, quiet. right? It's like 30, yeah. 30 days before your renewal, you get the email. Hey, why hey, don't you check in? With, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're yeah. coming in a year. Yeah, <laughs> and as you like, sellers move on all the time, so it's oftentimes a new seller and they're like, hey, could it mean you? Can I get that commission? <laughs> By the way, we're going to raise your price a little bit. Thanks. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, really? Come on. Um, but no, cool. Anything else you want to add to that? Those are the two that I had actually written down. Well, so. the, the, the one other thing is um, just continue to build relationships. Businesses these days run on relationships, right? So if you build that close relationship with your champion uh, and other people at that account, yeah, they'll tell you 
uh, they'll, they'll be much more honest when things aren't going well. And you can have those conversations and you can like team up with them to figure out how to make the most of your product. And if they're making the most of your product, yeah, I mean, renewals are natural. Renewals are easy. Yeah, renewals are natural. It's easy. And it's yeah. not just on the AEs too. The CSMs have some responsibility to make no, sure 100%. these accounts are renewing well, well, too. Yeah, obviously. Like that, yeah. that is actually <laughs> sort of their job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, so, um, yeah if, they're, but if they don't have synergy with those AEs, that, that's also an issue. So you need to solve that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your CE-AE alignment is super important in this scenario, right? The, the other thing that, by the way, super topical, I didn't even have it written down, but it comes to mind as you talk about this. If you're like Revenue IO and you have lots of products, we, we have a whole product suite that we sell people, by the way. You should buy them all. They're awesome. Um, um, there are customers who might buy one of your products that are going to show intent data. I was just going to say, products. yes, exactly. <laughs> like you exactly. can use intent data for your current customer yep. base Full as circle. much as you can use it for outbound and it can identify upsells and you can do the same exact stuff that we've already talked about, but you can do it for your current customers too. 100%. Yeah. If they're surging on competitor intent keywords, you're in trouble. Mm. Look at that. We just looped it back in. This seems like a logical place to finish. <laughs> the last anybody. I love it. I love it. I think it's a great place to end. All right. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much. Again, um, follow us all on LinkedIn. Uh, we, we release every Wednesday at, at Wednesday mornings when we release these episodes. Wednesday morning. Go to, go to uh, the Apple store and give us a five-star review. Follow us on LinkedIn and shoot us your This Week on LinkedIn comments. Again, I got one of these so far and we'll probably use it soon. But if you record the audio and email it to me, I am much more likely to play that audio and you will get a feature spot on an episode. Otherwise, just message me them and I'll read them off and mispronounce your name. And that's fine too. Uh, but... <laughs> Whatever you want to do, send us your message, give us five stars, follow us on LinkedIn, and we'll see everybody next week. See you next week. See you guys. Thanks, guys.